You are listening to the Passion City Church Podcast. To learn more about Passion City Church, including our gathering times in Atlanta and Washington, D.C., visit us online at passioncitychurch.com. Today's talk comes from Pastor Ben Stewart, and it's a continuation of a series about Jonah. Well, I grew up in Houston, Texas, and in Houston, it's essential to drive a car. Houston is very big, very wide, very hot, and so if you're going to exist in that world, you have to own a car. And so growing up for me, though, vehicularly speaking, uh, I was a loser when it came to vehicles, right? Uh, My first car was a two-tone blue Oldsmobile Omega. It was older than me. I bought it for $60. It would idle at 15 miles an hour. So when you put it in drive, you had to be ready to go. It also had a very loose steering wheel. So if you wanted to turn, you had to get started early. And then you better midway through start working it backwards uh, because you were going to hit the curb. It also honked every time it turned left, which was awkward because I lived near a middle school and I would drive home as they were getting out and I scared a lot of middle school Girls. Uh, had an all AM radio. It had rained in the car, so you just really didn't want to touch the back seat. Driver's side door didn't open, so it was interesting to get in. I had two options to slide through the window or to open the passenger side and crawl through. I remember the first time I gave a cute girl a ride home from high school, I opened the passenger side door and she went, oh, and started to get in. I was like, whoa, whoa, whoa. Dove in and then was like, okay, now you can come. All right. Turns out that the previous owner had driven it in a flood, and so there was water in all kinds of places in the engine. Water should not be, so it dramatically died, and I pushed it into a junkyard. My second car was a Nissan Maxima, and it was one of those ones that would talk to you, and it had like a sultry female voice, which was cool, except that it had electrical problems, so uh, she was crazy. So as I was driving, she'd say things like, left door is open. I'm like, no, it's not, baby. And she's like, right door is open? I'm like, no. She'd say, keys are in the ignition. I'm like, I know. And then she would just die. Uh, so much so that I would keep a deck of cards in the car because I would break down so often my roommates would have to come get me. I'd play solitaire on the side of the freeway. Uh, yeah. Uh, also, some good friends of mine put some Bob Marley stickers all over it and wrote Dope Smoke Mobile all over my car. So I was repeatedly pulled over and pulled out and searched by the police until finally I just gave the car away to a distant relative. My third was a Buick that was as wide as it was long. You could literally lay across the seats of the Buick and not touch both doors. It was incredible. I parked it in a parking lot where some youth decided to beat it to death with bats. The police towed it and sold it in an auction. My fourth car was a minivan we called the Humility Mobile because I lived along this strip in Houston where people would take their cars in drag race. And so young guys were always there. They'd hit stoplights and they'd rev their engines and look. And I would always pull up in my minivan and they would look over and when they saw a guy their age. I can't tell you how many times I saw a guy look over and then just turn away in disgust like I can't look upon you. And it started to die. Now in all this, let me say that I was not a victim. I was terrible with cars. I never took care of them. I had inherited that. My dad was terrible with cars, would trash them. Uh, I got all that and would do the same, but it was a mess. And so by this time in life, I was a youth pastor and the humility mobile was dying and I was trying to grow a youth ministry and I needed a car and I was in jeopardy, right? And so I remember one day I was in my office and a woman came up to my office that I didn't know. And she walked up and she said, hey, I would like to give you my truck. And I said, by give, you mean like a payment plan? Because uh, I'm a youth pastor. I don't know if you noticed that. I get like paid in cheese sandwiches. So uh, I just don't know that that's really going to work. And she said, no, I just want to give it to you. Do you want to see it? And I was like, yeah, sure. Let's do this. And so I walked downstairs, 
walked out into the parking lot and there was a brand new Dodge Ram 1500 uh, with, uh, man, all leather seats, wood grain interior, bright arrest me, red, electric, everything. And I just walked up and I was like, is this a joke? I'm like, what, what, is, what is it? Is there like really a rusted out truck? Be like, not that one. And there's like a dirty rusted out one behind it. I'm like, you can't be serious. And she's like, no, I'm serious. Would you like to drive it? And I said, I can't. Because I'm trying to hurry up and finish out stuff because I was on my way to Italy, which suddenly made me feel like I lived way too charmed a life. I'm like, I can't take the free car. I'm on my way to Europe, love. But I was like, no, I can't right now. Like I have to go. And she was like, well, just call me when you get back and uh, I'll give you the truck. So I got back and I'll tell you, it was uh, the weirdest phone call I've ever had to make. I don't know if you've ever been in that situation where I'm like dialing a number of a lady I don't know. And I just kept expecting to call and be like, hi, I'm calling about that um, truck you're going to give me. And they'd be like, what are you talking about? I'm like, I don't know. I don't know. I'm sorry. Prank caller. Just hang up and be like, yeah, it was weird from the start. And just kind of, that'd be it. But I called her and she said, oh yeah, meet me at the uh, State Farm entrance. So I drove to the insurance place, walked upstairs. She was already sitting there. Paperwork was all filled out. So I walked up and the guy said, hey, sign here, sign here. And he's like, okay. She handed me the keys, the title. She said, the truck's yours. And she got up and she started to walk out. And I stopped her. I was like, wait, wait. Like, uh, like I, I don't even know how to say thank you. And she said, that'll work. And then she left. So I went downstairs. And I sat in my brand new truck. And I remember that when I first sat in it, a couple thoughts landed on me. Number one was how undeserving I was. Like, my track record proved that I should not be trusted with anything other than the Oldsmobile Buick, right? And yet here I am with this car, and I'm like, this is unbelievable. I am not a deserving recipient. And the second thing that struck me was how unobligated she was. She did not know me. I didn't leave her to Jesus. I didn't save her life. I didn't rescue a loved one from a fire. And I got to know her later. And the more I got to know her, the more I realized there was absolutely no connection between Ben's activity and her gift. It made no sense. And the third thing that hit me was how unbelievable the gift was. I mean, it was kind of cold that day and it had seat heaters. And I was like, ooh, that's nice. All right. And I was just like, this is unbelievable. And as I sat there, I don't know how you would feel. I started to panic. I just got this pain attack because I was like, I can't pay her back. Like, there's literally nothing I could do. I felt this obligation. I got to do something. But I'm like, I have, I have nothing. Like, anything I would try to do would be insulting. I mean, honestly, I'd be like, well, 10 bucks cover it. I mean, like, I, I have no resources, right? And so I started praying. I was like, God, I, uh, I don't know what to do. I don't know what to do. So I did the only thing I knew how to do. I started praying. And two things landed on me as I prayed. Number one was gratitude. As I sat there in that car, I thought, I needed a car. God, I asked you for a car, and you gave me one, and you went above and beyond my expectations. And the second thing that hit me was a sentence just popped into my head. How do you honor the giver? And I thought, the way you honor the giver is to enjoy the gift. That's how you honor her. It doesn't honor her if I drive around ashamed, like, I'm not worthy of this. I'm not worthy. Like, that doesn't honor her. What honor her is if I just enjoyed it. I needed a truck. She gave me an awesome one. This is amazing. So I felt like in that moment as I prayed, God was like, you know the way to honor the giver? You enjoy the gift. And I went, amen. (laughs) Yes, sir. So I drove off in my new truck, right? But not before I named her. 
and I named the truck Grace. Grace. Because that's what it is, right? That's what grace is. If you were here last week, we talked about the beginning of the book of Jonah, and it was about the human tendency to run away from God, that illogical motive in us to distance ourselves from the source of life in our pursuit of life, and that's called sin. Today is about grace, the tendency in the heart of God to chase us and to give us life. That's what grace is, right? There's a tendency in God to chase us even as we run from him and to give us life. And it's not because he sees anything beautiful in us. It's because of something beautiful in him. Did you know that? That God doesn't bless us because he sees something wonderful in your heart. He blesses us because of something wonderful in his heart. And that's good news. That's good news if you're here and you don't feel worthy today. I mean, some of you are here and you're crushing. Just everything's going your way. You're here because you're just lighting it up at every level. You're just winning in life. But I think some of us in here know what it's like to not feel like we're winning and to wake up in the morning and not feel worthy. And the good news is whether you feel worthy or not of the grace of God doesn't really matter. His love is not motivated by nor contingent upon your loveliness. Did you know that? It's sourced in him. That's what grace is. It chases and it gives. That's grace. So if you want a definition of grace for our purposes this morning, it's when undeserving people receive from an unobligated giver an unbelievable gift and the response is gratitude and joy. That's what grace is. It's when undeserving people receive from an unobligated giver an unbelievable gift and the natural response is gratitude and joy. That's what you saw in Jonah The beauty of the poem that Jonah writes is the contrast, how deep his life had sunk, yet how amazing it was that God above would reach down and save him. And when Jonah sings, he's very low. You see it, he says, I cried for help in verse two. I cried for help from the depths of Sheol. You heard my voice, for you had cast me into the deep, into the hearts of the seas, and the currents engulfed me. All your breakers and billows passed over me. Jonah was undeserving. He was in the sea because it was his fault. He had run from God and God let him have what he wanted. You want a life apart from me? Go for it. That will not go well for you, Jonah. Jonah was reaping what he sowed. He got what he deserved as he sank. And yet even though he felt that, he says in verse four, I've been expelled from your sight. Nevertheless, I will look again towards your holy temple. Even though I have no business doing it, even though I'm not worthy, I will cry out to you anyway. And when he did, he says in verse five, the water encompassed me to the point of death. The deep engulfed me. Weeds were wrapped around my head. I descended to the roots of the mountains, the earth with its bars around me forever. And right when he was at the worst possible moment, he says, but you brought my life up from the pit Oh Lord, my God. That's what grace does. Jonah is undeserving. God is unobligated. He owed Jonah nothing. Yet he gives him the unbelievable gift of rescue. I give you your life back. And I not only give you your life back, I give you me. And the result is joy. Jonah writes a song. Because that's what you do when you experience the grace of God. When you've tasted of grace, you sing of grace. And this is the core of Christianity. I don't know if you know that. This is the core of the message of Jesus. So there was a debate once in the 1940s 
And they got a group of religious people together, people from all different religious backgrounds, and uh, they had a conversation on stage. And they were, the premise of the conversation was, how do all our religions agree and how are all our religions different? And they had a wide variety of people and they all, their religions have a rough sense of morality. Everyone does. There are things you should do. There are things you should not do. There are things that would be celebrated. There's things that should be condemned. There are things that if you do, you should be blessed. There are things that if you do, you should be punished. Every religion has that. None of them are unique in that sense. They all share that. But then the Christian, C.S. Lewis, I believe, spoke up and said, but Christianity believes that the blessing of God comes not after you've done the good and avoided the bad. The blessing comes first. God blesses you when you haven't done the good. When you have done the bad, when you're undeserving, the grace of God flies first. The hand of God that shoots out towards you is the hand of mercy. And you know what's interesting? Everyone agreed with them. They're like, yeah, that's really different. (laughs) Everybody else works off some form of kind of our Americanized version of karma. You know, what we've done here to the word karma is that idea. You do good, good comes to you. You do bad, bad comes to you. So you try to stack up the good so you can stack up some good. You don't stack up the bad because then bad's coming for you. That's how it all works. But that's not the message of Jesus. Bono from U2. Anybody remember Bono? Anybody know him? Okay, yeah. A handful of white people in the crowd. Bono is, uh, I'm just kidding. That was maybe wrong. Everybody knows Bono from U2, whatever. Anyway, Bono was in an interview with a French journalist and the interviewer was talking to him and Bono keeps bringing up Jesus. And you can tell the interviewer just keeps like slipping it, dodging it. I don't really want to talk about that, but Bono keeps bringing up Jesus. And so finally the guy says to him, but haven't people done appalling things in the name of religion? And this is Bono's answer. He said, it's a mind blowing concept that the God who created the universe might be looking for company, a real relationship with people. But the thing that keeps me on my knees is the difference between grace and karma. And the interviewer asked him, what's that? And he said, at the center of religions is the idea of karma. You know, what you put out comes back to you. Eye for an eye, tooth for tooth, or in physics, physical laws, every action is met by an equal or opposite one. And yet, along comes this idea of grace that upends all that. Love interrupts the consequences of my actions which in my case is very good news indeed because I've done a lot of stupid stuff. And the interviewer asked him, like what? And he said, that's between me and God. (laughs) He said, but I'd be in big trouble if karma was gonna be my judge. He said, it does not excuse my mistakes, but I am holding out for grace. I am holding out that Jesus took my sin onto that cross because I know who I am. And I hope I don't have to depend on my own religiosity. So I took that trip to Italy. And I remember while I was on the train going through the countryside, this girl had given me a song to listen to written by Bono. And the song's about grace. Uh, And so he titled the song Grace. And it was the picture, he pictures Grace as a woman. Uh, And this is what he says of her. She takes the blame, she covers the shame, she removes the stain. And then he says, she travels outside of karma. And then my favorite line is, he says, grace makes beauty out of ugly things. That's what's beautiful about it. 
When grace like that touches down on you, you can't stay the same. Grace makes beauty out of ugly things. John Newton, born in 1775, religious mom, irreligious seafaring dad. His mom died when he was a kid, raised by this man, and became a, literally a drunken sailor. I mean, John Newton had the reputation of being able to cuss for two hours straight without repeating himself. I don't even know how that works, but you gotta respect it, right? And so he sailed and everybody hated him. He wasn't like a popular cusser. Like everybody hated the guy. They abandoned him on the coast of Africa. They're like, where's John? I don't know. And they left without him. He got captured, enslaved, and was a slave in Africa for two years. And it was brutal. He had to eat off the ground uh, without using his hands. Uh, He was tortured, starved, really bad deal. Finally was able to escape, used a signal fire to get a ship to stop. They sent out a boat. He got onto that boat. And there with all that pain in his heart, rage in his heart, he became a slave trader. And he would buy and sell the men and women and children from Africa, split up families for money. That's what happened to John. That's the career he chose. Still hated him on that boat. Got the whole crew drunk at one point, fell off the boat. They had to spear him with a boat hook to bring him back on. He was a mess of a human being and an absolute monster. And then one day, a storm came because that's what God does. You run, I chase, and often it's with a storm. That was last week. And in the middle of the storm, he's working the pumps and he realizes I'm probably gonna die. So he did something he hadn't done since he lost his mom. He prayed and he just yelled, God help me. And he didn't die. Got sick, got an illness, kicked him off the boat, said, you can't stay here. And so he went and was lost in the city, lost my career, lost family, lost everything. And someone invited him to a meeting like this and he started hearing about the grace of God that came from Jesus that would forgive even somebody like you. And he believed it. And the craziest thing was three things became true of him that were actually his reputation for the rest of his life. Number one, he became a pastor. Number two, he worked tirelessly to abolish slavery along with Hannah Moore and William Wilberforce and a host of other people and they were able to do it in England without a war. And number three, he became famous for the song he wrote, Amazing Grace. How sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me because I was lost, but now I'm found. I was blind, but now I see. It was grace that taught my heart to fear and then grace my fears relieved. How precious did that grace appear the hour I first believed. Grace makes beauty out of ugly things. And when you realize I'm not deserving, he's unobligated, but he blesses anyway, you will start singing. That's what happens, right? Can God make an addict sober? I've watched him do it. Can God make a racist into an abolitionist? Yes, he can. 
Can God make a pornographer pure? Yes, he can. Can God change and heal you? Yes, he can. Anybody. No one's too far gone. So let me talk to two groups, and then we're done. First group is those of you who would say, I'm not whatever you are. <laughs> like I'm, not a, I'm not a Christian. I'm not a Jesus person. I've never believed that. I've never believed that Jesus forgives me, heals me, loves me, sees my sin and forgives it anyway. Like I, I've never put my faith in Jesus to heal me and forgive me. Well, let me just say this. The Bible says of you that you're a human being. And so as such, you're made in the image of God. There's something beautiful about you. There's something strong about you because you're made in the very image of God. Every human being, regardless of what you believe or what you've done, has dignity and worth because God's hands have touched you. But Romans says, all have sinned, all of us, and fallen short of the glory of God. We are far less than we should be. And Isaiah 59 says, our problem is that our sin has separated us from God. We are Jonah drowning. It's who we are as as humanity. And yet something wonderful happens. A guilty Jonah cries and a God rescues. I called out of my distress to the Lord. He answered me. I cried from the depths of Sheol and you heard my voice. That's what God does. And so wherever you are in life, God will do that. God does that. And yet something interesting is in verse four and verse seven, I don't know if you caught it when Jonah sings, he says in verse four, I've been expelled from your sight. Nevertheless, I will look again towards your holy temple. Then he said it again in verse seven, while I was fainting away, I remember the Lord and my prayer came to you in your holy temple. You go, why does he keep talking about a building while he's drowning underwater? Well, for Jonah, who was a Jew, the center of the world was the nation of Israel. Uh, and the center of Israel was the city of Jerusalem, right? Uh, the prophet said, oh, Jerusalem at the navel of the earth is what it was called because it's the one place in the world where three continents connect with a land bridge. So they would called it the center of the earth. So at the center of the earth was Israel. At the center of Israel was Jerusalem. At the center of Jerusalem was the temple. And in the center of the temple was a room called the Holy of Holies. And the temple was a picture of this is where God dwells. And he didn't really live in a temple and they didn't really believe that, but, but it was a picture, an image of this is where God dwells. And in the center of that room in the Holy of Holies, there was a box. And that box held in it the commandments of God, the holiness of God, a pure, beautiful life etched into stone. And nobody could obey those laws. Nobody has. So nobody could enter that room. And that was the picture. You're not pure You're not okay. And the problem is your sin has separated you from God. That's the problem. But the interesting thing about the temple was the main thing that happened there was sacrificing animals, right? Because no one could enter that room except on one particular day. The priest would take an innocent lamb and kill it. And then he would take the blood from it and he would go and that box had a lid and the lid had a name. Uh, It was called the Hillisterian. It's the name of the lid. And he would put blood of the lamb on top of that lid. And it was a picture, it was a metaphor. They all understood that, but it was a picture that we violated this law so we can't be with God. Yet somebody innocent will take the blame for me, will take the shame for me, will pay the debt for me. And his blood covers my transgression of the law. So when God looks down, he doesn't see the law I broke. He saw the sacrifice given for me and then I can commune with God. 
the doors open for God to meet with us. And they knew that doesn't solve it. They knew the blood of lambs and goats doesn't take away sin, but they knew this was a picture of something God was doing at some point. Romans chapter three says, now apart from the law, the righteousness of God has been manifested, being witnessed by the law and the prophets, even the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ. For all who believe, there's no distinction. All have sinned, all have fallen short of the glory of God, being justified, that means made right, as a gift by his grace through the redemption that's being bought out, which is in Christ Jesus, whom God publicly displayed as a hilasterian, as a mercy seat, that's the word. He's the lid, right? In his blood through faith. That was just a picture. I'm the real. I'm not blowing off what you did, I'm paying for it. And I'm paying for it so that you can go free knowing the debt is paid and heaven smiles on you and communion with God is open again. And does Jonah understand all those mechanics of Jesus? No, but he knows I'm guilty, I'm drowning and it's my fault, but someone's gonna sacrifice for me. Someone has sacrificed for me. So I'm looking at the temple, even though I can't see it and I'm way down here far away and there's weeds wrapped around my head anyway, I'm looking that way saying, but if someone can pay for this for me, pay it. If somebody will take my place, take it. If someone will rescue me, rescue me. And that's why I think Jesus' favorite illustration was the illustration of Jonah. Jesus said, I'm the one going into the depths. I'm the one who will stay there for three days. And then I'm the one rising. Why? Because I'm gonna do this for you. I'm gonna do it for you. And when Jonah sees that he's not gonna drown, he says in verse nine, salvation is from the Lord. It's not me earning it. It's not me stacking up the good and trying to minimize the bad. I couldn't earn it. I don't deserve it. But you give your life away. It's overwhelming. And Jonah looks and says, this rescue is all from the Lord. That's what it is. And let me just tell you something too. I don't know where you are in life or what you've done, but you're never too far gone. You're not. I remember for me, there was a day... uh, I was jumping on a plane and I don't know how you grew up. For me, I grew up in a ministry that was amazing, but it was led by an evangelist, a guy that was really good at telling people about Jesus socially. And he would do it all the time. Anytime he walked up to people, he would just start talking to them about Jesus anywhere. And so the way he led the ministry was, you just go do that. You just talk to people about Jesus. So when I joined the ministry, it was like you'd walk into bars and just with a little track and be like, hey, have you met Jesus? And, and him, it always worked. And I knew guys like that. I remember going to a train stop with a guy that walked up to someone and was like, hey man, I was reading this Bible verse the other day and he read it and he's like, what do you think about that? And the guy was like, I think I needed that. I think God's coming to me right now. The guy started crying and I was like, and then I tried, I was like, hey man, sorry, sorry man. No, uh, yeah, yeah, I'm just like, I couldn't get the tone right. It's bad at it. But the way this leader would do it, he's like, when you sit on a plane, whoever you sit next to, that's God ordaining that you would share Jesus with them. Yeah, it sounds neat. It was actually very stressful (laughs) for an introvert. So I hated planes. And people that worked on planes thought, oh, he's just nervous about flying. Don't worry, it's very safe. I'm not not worried about the plane. I'm worried about the evangelism. Like I can't handle it socially, you know? Uh, So I hated it. So I remember I was on this plane and um, the plane's filling up and the seat next to me is not. And so I was just like, thank you, Lord. Yes. And the plane's almost done. And I'm like, I'm going to get a free ride. I get to just sort of go internal. And um, right towards the end, this dude gets on the plane. And he's so big. Uh, 
like his shoulders can't fit this way through the, you know, where the luggage goes. So he, he has to turn sideways. Like, sorry, sorry, but his muscles are too big. And he's, he's got a bone hook necklace and he's drinking out of a gallon jug. You know, no cup is sufficient. He's just got to, ah! And he walks in and he's got like scars on his face. And he was like, hey man, I think that's my seat. I'm like, yeah, of course it is. So he sits down and I was just like, oh God, what am I gonna do? And so I'm praying for the courage to talk to this guy. And literally I'm like, Lord, help me. And I'm doing all that. And then I turn and look and he's just looking at me. And he goes, what do you do? And at the time I said, uh, I'm a youth pastor. I tell young people about Jesus. I said, what do you do? He said, I teach Brazilian jiu-jitsu to police officers. I was like, that sounds about right. He said, and I tell my story. I was like, well, lay it on. He said, you remember Nancy Kerrigan? I'm thinking in my mind, of course I remember Nancy Kerrigan. Ice skater in the Olympics. Shooing for the gold, competing against Tanya Harding. So Tanya hired a hitman, hit her in the knee with a club, take her out of competition. Of course I remember Nancy Harding. I don't say all that. He says, you know Nancy Harding? I'm like, yeah, of course I know Nancy Harding. He goes, yeah, I clubbed her. I was like, okay, okay. He said, yeah, I went to jail for that. I was like, tough but fair. He said, yeah, you think you're tough until you land in jail. He said, no, I started to get acclimated to how small a person I really am. And he said, there in that moment, somebody came to me. Somebody visited me in prison and sat with me and told me the grace of God could even forgive me. Me, the laughing stock of America. Me, the, the criminal of America. And he said, I believed him. And God saved me. So now I teach police officers to fund me speaking anywhere to anybody. I don't charge anything. I just tell them about the grace of a God who could save even me. And that's what he does. And that's what grace does. Grace makes beauty out of ugly things. So I don't know how far you think you are, but he's coming for you. And you may have descended to the roots of the mountains and you feel like the earth with its bars are around you forever. But let me tell you something. He brings lives up out of the pit. Oh Lord, my God, that's what he does. All you gotta do is cry out and say, Jesus, if you're forgiving people, forgive me. If you're saving, save me. Now let me talk to the second group. And that's those of you who would say, I already believe all that. I'm already a Christian. I'm already a follower of Jesus. I'm already a forgiven person. I already know Jesus. I know those things. And I love those things. And I believe those things. And I sing those things because I mean those things. And yet here's the reality. Even then, there is still a tendency in us to resist the leadership of God and run from Him. There's still something broken in us and we tend to run. And for many of us, the shame feels even worse because we feel like we should know better. And let me tell you something. You're like Jonah too. Jonah was a prophet of God. Jonah was the man of God who spoke for God. And when God called him, the prophet Amos says, when God calls, who can not answer? The answer, Amos, is Jonah. Because when God called Jonah, he was like, no, no, right? And he ran. There's no more embarrassing place to be. And I know many Christians that, man, you're in the business today of not needing to be saved from the penalty of sin. That's what justification did 
but you got the power of sin at work in you. And you need saved from that every day. And so if that's you, the same thing is true here. While I was fainting away, I called out and you heard my prayer. Follower of Jesus, believer in Jesus, you do not have to clean yourself up to come back home. You just have to admit you're dirty. You just have to cry out while you are fainting away, you cry out. And I meet so many people that they know Jesus and yet sin is leading them away like the current of a tide, away from his mercy, away from believing he could work in your life. Some of you, it's insecurity. That's the voice you wake up to every morning. I remember in college, one time I had to study for a test and I never went to class. And so I met a girl that was willing to give me all her notes. I'm not justifying that, I'm just telling you a story. So I took her notes and I was studying for the test and I was flipping through her notes and I flipped all the way to the back page and in the back she had written a letter to herself. And it was berating herself for her eating habits, her lack of discipline, and then it was just one sentence after another about you're so ugly, you're so unworthy, you're so that I, I had never encountered something like that. And frankly, it scared me. I'm like, I would just look at her face and I would never think those voices were rolling in her head. But some of you know those voices really well. You wake up to them about how unworthy you are, how ugly you are, how not deserving you are. And they, they are just there waiting for you and they beat you down to the roots of the mountains. And there's a way, there's a way out. And there's grace for you. Some of you, it's de depression, you're discouraged. And I know there's medical versions of that. But for some of you, it's just a sadness that, that haunts you, comes after you, that, that's waiting for you when you wake up. Some of us, it's that. Some of us, honestly, some of us, it is pornography. It's unbelievable when you look at the statistics. 86% of young men at universities today say they look at it on a monthly basis. That's self-reported. It's soaking our culture. And I hate it. And I don't hate the person who's struggling with it, but I just hate as someone in ministry watching what it does to people. And I love that we're at a place in culture even now where Chris Rock is doing a comedy special where he's talking about, hey, this stuff really poisoned my marriage and it really hurt my ability to function socially. And I see that in guys I know that as they get locked up into that, and not just guys, one third of girls in college admit to struggling with it as well, that, that eye contact gets harder. Social focus and engagement gets harder. The reason I hate it so much is because I, I lose you. We lose you, it, it takes you from us. It doesn't give to you, it takes you from us and we want you with us. And so I just hate it. And some of you are, it's wrapped around you and you don't know a way out. I don't know what it all is for you but I wanna say there's rescue. And it's not, hey, go clean up your act. It's while I'm fainting away, I cried out to your temple. Now, does that solve everything in an instant? Because some people do that. I'm struggling with a sin and I cried out, God, fix it, and I want it fixed. Is that how it works? No! If that's what would have happened with Jonah, he would have just landed on the shore. God, help! worked out pretty well for me, right? Pina colada in one hand on the Mediterranean coast. God didn't do that. He doesn't land on a carnival cruise. They got shuffleboard. It's not what happens. 
God sends a fish. And it was pretty awesome when you're drowning to get a fish. But objectively speaking, fish intestine are not the most comfortable place to hang out for three days, all right? A lot of research has been done on that. It's not great. Stomach acid, things like that. It's not good for you. And so did he get saved? Yeah. The means of grace though, weren't super comfortable. And for some of us, can I tell you, God, God wants to break the chains. He wants to light up the dark. He wants to heal some broken things. But the means of rescue he'll send you may not feel comfortable. Jonah got saved in the body of the fish. You will get saved out of these particular issues through the body of Christ. One of the greatest gifts God's given us is us. Not to make you right with God. The, the finished work of Jesus purchased that. But as we struggle, what God's going to give you as an instrument of healing is us. It's us. I remember I had some young men in my ministry that one of them told me, and forgive me if I told a story, I can't remember it, but he told me, he's like, Ben, I wrestle with, with depression and, and it's not clinical for him. He said, but I'm just sad a lot and, and I don't have a good reason to pin it to, which makes me feel ashamed and uh, I don't know what to do with it. And I said, well, I'm so glad you're talking about it. This is part of it. To know you're not alone. A lot of people struggle with it. A lot of people who God uses powerfully in the world are built to be introspective, but when they turn that power internally, it's, it's really damaging. But if they can channel it, it's an endless source of creativity in life for the rest of us. So I'm glad you're talking about it. You need to share it with other people. And he said, I don't wanna tell anybody else. But I knew there was this other kid in our ministry telling me the same things. So I remember we were all together once and meeting together and praying together. And finally, at one moment, he had enough. And he said, I, hey, I just need to tell you guys, I struggle with depression and sometimes I can't even get out of bed coolest thing was as soon as he said that this other young man looked over at him and said me too me too and they began to pray for each other we all began to pray for them and did prayer solve it all no but they had a healthy place to take it they had a group of people that was there with them and what I loved about this kid was we would sit in church together and always at the midway point of the first gathering he would slip out but before he slipped out he would always smile at me like try to get eye contact with me and smile and then he'd leave which made me nervous because I knew what he was going to do he was a theater kid and he was going to drive around and wake up all his theater buddies and he'd load them in his car and bring them back which sounds amazing but he drove like a VW bug or something and would pile like 20 kids in it which he knew stressed me out because I'm like this is not safe as a minister I'm not even supposed to know you're doing this right but he would just pull up and they would roll out like out of a clown car just all these thespians like just pouring out of his car but so many kids got grace, healing, forgiveness, family, because this kid who had a struggle, but had a source, had a place he could take it and process it, and God used his life. So I don't know what you're dealing with. I don't know what all is going on in your life, but I know you're not too far gone. And God wants to heal you. And that may mean making that counseling phone call you don't wanna make. And if you need that, we can help you with a list of counselors. Maybe it's confessing to a buddy hey, I struggle with this and I don't want it to hold me captive anymore. That would be a good place for you. Maybe for you it's saying, okay, welcome to church, I'm signing up. And that won't solve it all. That's maybe day one in the fish. Sign up, ah, I did it. And then when they tell me the meeting, I will actually show up. And that'll be the second day of the fish. I showed up, ah, I made it, right? 
And then day three is maybe you join a community group with us and you get involved and it won't all happen overnight, but you'll begin to journey out. You'll begin to see God breaks chains. He loosens bonds and he does it. Every person in ministry here could tell you about it, how our lives have been broken in a variety of ways. And yet God is gracious. He's kind. That's what he's like. He says in verse eight, those who regard feigned idols forsake their faithfulness. That's one way it says it. Or they forsake their hope and steadfast love. Idols were little deities you tried to use like, like genies in a bottle. Help me solve this, help me do this. It was little ways to try to fix things that didn't work. And he said, people that try to just play those games, they forsake steadfast love. Maybe a more helpful translation for us is they forsake the love that could be theirs, the steadfast love that doesn't go away. But Jonah says, but I'll cry out to you with a voice of thanksgiving because salvation comes from the Lord. So I don't know what you're clinging to, but I know that there's a source. I look at the life of Augustine, one of the greatest theologians in church history, who was a sex addict. And as he began to hear the story of the grace of God, he said, I was addicted over here. And yet as he began to believe God could heal him, God could restore him, God could keep sexuality from being a destructive thing in his life and make it a healthy thing in his life. He became a theologian. He became a powerful minister. And I love what he wrote in one of his journals. He said, how sweet all at once it was for me to be rid of those fruitless joys which I once so feared to lose. You drove them from me, you who are the true sovereign joy. You drove them from me and took their place. You who are sweeter than all pleasure. O oh Lord, my God, my light, my wealth, my salvation. Why is he right like that? Because when you've tasted of grace, you start writing poetry. When you know you're forgiven, you become a voice of worship. It just happens. Grace makes beauty out of ugly things. If you were encouraged by today's talk and believe it would be uplifting to others, then be sure to rate us and hit subscribe on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you stream your podcasts. To experience other talks, videos, and live gatherings, visit us online at passioncitychurch.com or download the Passion Movement app. And again, thanks for listening to the Passion City Church Podcast.